there, Cubs fans. Welcome to Cup of Cubby Blue, your home for series-by-series series updates of the Chicago Cubs, hosted by the Bleacher Bunch Network. We're going to do something a little bit different here today. We're going to be joined by our friends from our White Sox site for a Crosstown Classic preview. I hope you are super interested in hearing me chat with Crystal O'Keefe to preview pretty critical Crosstown Classic series that we'll see the Cubs take all of their trade deadline hopes into the South Side for two games. Uh, the Cubs really need to win out. They have seven games left before the trade deadline, and they are right on the cusp of being buyers. So if you want to see Cody Bellinger or Marcus Stroman or Kyle Hendricks pitch towards the end of the season, the Cubs really need to win. It's all hinging on these games, and we are going to talk about all of it. So enjoy this Crosstown crossover, and we'll be back with our regular programming next week. Hey, White Sox fans. It's Crystal O'Keefe with episode 32 of Visiting Dugout, brought to you by the Southside Sox, a part of Fans First Sports Network. Today on the show, I have Sarah Sanchez. She is from our sister site, Bleed Cubby Blue. She also writes for Baseball HQ, previously Fangraphs and Short Relief as well. And so welcome, Sarah. Please introduce yourself if you would like to add some more. No, you did a great job with the introductions. Thank you for having me. Excited to preview a crosstown classic uh, with our White Sox friends. Yes, I know this is this is a this is a fun one. We I talked to Brett about how we should do this and you know, you and I both said a good crossover episode, and he was definitely all for that. He said we should make a, a bigger deal about this one because, you know, we, I do surprisingly have some, you know, Cubs friends and followers. So I have White Sox friends and followers too. And like to be clear, uh, I host the Cub of Cubby Blue podcast and do a ton of Cubs work and also like go to the White Sox games six or seven times a season. And I don't hate the White Sox like, I want bad things for the White Sox. Uh, but the Crosstown Classic is definitely one of those times where everything collides and it gets kind of messy. So it's fun to do an all Chicago podcast and we'll be releasing this on Cup of Cubby Blue as well. Yeah, it'll be fun. I know just kind of from the start, I spent my wedding night in 2018 at a Crosstown Cup instead of having a reception. <laughs> Love it the best seats we could and the Cubs ended up winning that one. So I sat there and like watched Javi Baez right in front of me, like hoisting that cup. And I was like, you know what? That's fine. I'm not bitter. (laughs) (laughs) I I feel like I should apologize. And also I feel like I can't apologize. So it's like one of these things. It was still, it was still a great day. It was a really pretty day. So it's fine. So hopefully the marriage has gone better. (laughs) It is. It's fine. Marriage is great. Um, Perfect. Um, so again, we are both in the two worst divisions of this entire league. Like I think about ways that both central leagues could just be like dissolved into other leagues so that we don't look like the laughing stock of major league baseball. The Cubs are faring a little better at third, seven and a half games back, 480 record. White Sox in fourth. They just got swept by the twins, you know, a couple hours before we recorded this. Eleven games back record of 410. So what's going on up north? Because we all know South Side is just a mess right now. I actually think the Cubs are six and a half games back right now because they won three of four against the Cardinals this weekend, which, you know, anytime we can beat the Cardinals at all, that's good. But like winning three of four against the Cardinals is great. And 
the Brewers and Reds managed to keep the pace a little bit, but you know, they're sitting five and a half games out of a wild card spot, six and a half games out of the division. It's right on the cusp of make Jed Hoyer's job hard. <laughs> and I am here for the Cubs making Jed Hoyer's job hard. I don't want it to be the easiest decision in the land for him to be like, oh yeah, we're just going to sell Cody Bellinger and sell Marcus Stroman. It's going to be fine. And I admit that like anything can happen in these games against the White Sox. Like we'll probably get into it, but rivalry games are always one of those situations where it's like, I, I don't know, man, like it doesn't matter what your win percentage is or like what your pathag is or like anything else. It's like, it's a rivalry game. So everybody shows up and we'll see what happens. But right now the Cubs have managed to make Jed Hoyer's life hard a little bit. And I'm here for it. I wish the White Sox would do the same with their entire front office, but they just seem to be completely apathetic towards the entire situation. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with the White Sox. I uh, I mean, I, I watch from afar, obviously. Mm-hmm. Reinsdorf sucks. <laughs> Just like, what, I, there is no shade in what I'm about to say. I am not trying to troll White Sox fans at all. Let me just be very clear. I feel like the Cubs were like one good season away from having the exact same thing happen with their window. And it's devastating. I'm like, how is this not like the White Sox year? Why are we talking about trading Lucas Giolito or trading Lance Lynn? Or I, I don't know. I hate it. I I feel terrible for White Sox fans. And I'm not entirely sure. Like, I blame Tony Larusa, maybe? Yeah. He's, a, he's definitely a big piece in all of this, I believe. I think that that was really just kind of the worst direction a team that talented could go in was hiring him. And that only has caused this like bad ripple effect of everything else, just slowly, but surely going completely downhill. So yeah, I I think he's, I think he's a big chunk of it, but again, there's, there's nobody on the field that can really do anything right now. There is Luis Robert jr. And then the 29 year old rookie, Zach Rimillard. That's that's our team right now. So it's it's disappointing to say the least. It's not that much better on the north side, to be clear. <laughs> no, no. And although we kind of have it even worse, I don't know if you watch a lot of basketball, but he he owns the Bulls too. Yeah. So it's just like, well, two of my teams automatically are gonna be really bad and I never trust the Bears. So like why do I watch any sports at this point? What even are Chicago sports at this point in time? It's It feels like we're pretending we're Milwaukee when we're the third largest media market in the country. Yeah. Um, we have the sky. WNBA is fun to watch, at least. So there's that. That's that's my saving grace, I think, right now in liking any Chicago teams. But do you see the Cubs sitting any better by September? I I think there's a chance that they try. And I and I mean, there's like a lose one game more chance that they don't try. But like the Cubs are, they've won three in a row. They won three out of four against the Cardinals. They are just this side of, we're going to make you not sell at the deadline. And things could be interesting in September. So the thing with the Cubs, they're... Uh, schedule was much harder in the first half than the second half. They should theoretically be able to bank 
a ton of wins in the second half that they couldn't get in the first half. And that's what happened last season too, except last season at this point in time, they were out like 11 and a half games. So this, this season they're out like six and a half games. And it's like, I don't know. You look at six and a half games, you look at the Reds, you look at the Brewers, they're both pretty flawed teams. Like the Cubs could make a run and make things interesting. The Cubs are the only team in the NL central with a positive run differential. And part of that is because they had weird bullpen shenanigans and the offense is better than you think it is. But it's like, I don't know if you're the only team that can actually put more runs on the board than you allow. It seems like you should have a shot, particularly if your schedule gets early, gets easier. And so I have hopes that there could be competitive baseball on the north side of Chicago in September. And also like, I don't know, it's like two to 5% chance hope. No, I, I feel that I was just um, talking to a friend. I was, I was in New York for the Mets and White Sox series and he lives in New York now. So he was like, I don't know if I should wear my Mets stuff or if I should wear my White Sox stuff. And he said, I looked at fan graphs recently and the White Sox only had a 2% chance of even making it to a playoff game. Whereas the Mets, it was like 13. So I had, I had to wear the Mets instead. And I was like, that's the saddest number to hear <laughs> as a, a team that had, had so much potential going into this. I mean, they've got some superstars on that team and they just have decided not to care. Nobody cares on this team anymore, I think. But speaking of <laughs> these players, I had to ask you, you know, is, is Stroman going to still be a Cub in August or even, you know, in the next few days? It's a really good question. Um, I, I don't have a perfect answer for it. I'm actually trying to pull off the Cubs play it pull up the Cubs playoff odds as we're talking mm -hmm. just to see where they're at. I, I think they're under 30%, but probably over 2%. Um, Marcus Stroman has a mutual option at the end of the season, and it's much lower than his value currently is. Uh, he has been one of the best pitchers in baseball. He can give you a quality start, it seems like, on a whim. Now, admittedly, like I think that Stroman should think about the fact that part of that is because the Cubs have been very deliberate about putting a super good defense behind him. And so his pitch to contact style is playing really well. Um, and he's overperforming his bit considerably as a result of that. Um, that's also true for Justin Steele. That's also true for Kyle Hendricks. Like the Cubs have really banked on this contact heavy, but defense plus approach. And when it works, it's great. And when it doesn't work, it's not great. Um, the problem with not trading Stroman is that he can't get a qualifying offer. So there's no way for the Cubs, like if the Cubs don't trade him and they don't resign him, they don't turn him into anything. It's just a sunk cost. And Jed Hoyer doesn't seem like the type of guy who does sunk cost to me at the same time. If the team is like five and a half, four and a half games back with a weaker schedule, it's going to be really hard for him to look Cubs fans in the face and be like, yeah, we traded our best pitcher. And so I think there's a chance that Stroman stays a Cub. I would like them to extend him, frankly, like do another three-year, $30 million a year type of deal and see what happens. Um, I think with the defense they have right now on the north side of Chicago, Stroman's a great pitcher for them. And I, I like what he brings to this team. I mean, one of the things we talk about over on the Bleacher Bunch Network all the time is that 
this team feels kind of like a travel ball team and and the guys who make it feel less like a travel ball team who like bring some fire and bring some like pizzazz to the team like you want them to stay around and I think Marcus Stroman has been great for the city of Chicago I think he's been great for the Chicago Cubs I would love to see him extended and I don't trust Jed Hoyer to do it yeah that's absolutely fair I mean I think White Sox fans are in that boat when they talk about trading really any of their good like we have three decent pitchers right now and all three of them have kind of been that trade rumor all this time, especially Lucas Giolito, who, again, he just dominated against the Twins, and they they still lost in overtime. He had shut them out until Kendall Graveman came in. So it's really frustrating to see it. I get it. And they didn't want to pay Lucas earlier this year. They had to go, you know, near arbitration to even get that deal settled. So, but we, you know, we talked about him, and then I always – like to know who the MVP is on your team right now. And I, I, I think I knew your answer before you listed it, but you know, just so everyone else knows. <laughs> I mean, it has to be Cody Bellinger right now, but it's, it's very weird because Cody Bellinger's baseball savant numbers don't look all that great. If you compare what he did in his 2019 MVP season to what he's doing this year, it's, it's a lot of blue this season. It was a lot of red that season. He's not barreling the ball really well. It's like actually a career low barrel rate. He's not hitting the ball particularly hard. It's a career low hard hit rate. What Cody Bellinger is doing this season for the Chicago Cubs is he is striking out at a career low rate, which is 16.6%, which is right in line with his uh, career lowest rate when he was MVP Cody Bellinger. And he is fast enough that he is running out balls that – would otherwise become outs and turning them into singles and doubles. So I say all of that to say, <laughs> I'm not sure what I want the Cubs to do with Cody Bellinger. Like he is killing it right now. And I love it when he comes up and he hits a loop double and that turns into three runs. And I'm very happy about that. And also the dude's BABIP is like 70 points higher than it's ever been in his entire career. And it just doesn't seem like that's a recipe for, we should extend this dude and you should give him tons and tons of money. Bellinger is a Boris client. So like, I have to imagine that he is looking for a payday. He's not looking for like a five-year, $90 million deal. And I, if the Cubs wanted to extend him for five years and $90 million, I would do that in a heartbeat if Bellinger would take it. I don't think he will. And so it's just kind of this weird situation where he's the best player in baseball for the month of July. I'm not sure it's a sustainable best player in baseball type of thing. And I'm honestly not sure if the right move isn't to trade him because I look at the underlying metrics. I'm like, dude, if you could get like a couple of 19-year-olds who have some plus anything in their arsenal for the dude who is like all blue on the stat cast page, maybe do it. I don't know. No, I get it. Um, and you know, that, that's kind of the next question about the trading block. And I know, you know, we've talked about what's going to happen with Strowman. Is there anybody else that you think or is it just a, yeah maybe do trade him. I mean, I think that the three most likely candidates to be traded in order are Stroman, uh, again, because he can't even get a qualifying offer. So you can't get like a compensatory pick or anything there. Um, Bellinger, for the reasons I just laid out in terms of what the underlying metrics look like and what he's actually doing and how much someone might overpay for that profile at this moment in time, um, and then Drew Smiley, but Drew Smiley has kind of turned into a pumpkin the last few starts. And so it's like, I don't know, man, they just had Michael Fulmer open for Drew Smiley. And I was like, what? This is not how any of this is supposed to work. Nobody is like 
increasing Fulmer's value or Smiley's value because they gave up six runs as openers and bulk guys instead of the way they normally do. So um, those are probably the three guys that are on the trading block right now. Uh, they are the three guys who have deals that are expiring and could bring something back. Um, the Cubs have traded Smiley and then re-signed him before. I don't think they will do that with Stroman or Bellinger. I think if they lose either of those dudes, they're just not coming back. Yeah, I know Bellinger. I was even stunned when I saw that name come across my phone to go to the Cubs. That was such a good grab. I was very jealous. <laughs> no, it was great. I mean, it was a smart play and he's it's such a weird defensive profile that he's like plus in center field and first base. Those are two positions that you don't normally think of as being akin to each other, but the Cubs need defense at both of those places. He's done a really good job at them. Um, I also just, I don't know. They have Pete Crow Armstrong and Matt Mervis waiting in the, in the wings. Are they really going to invest that much money in him? I don't know. Yeah. You never know. Um, so we didn't have a ton of questions for Twitter because I think it's because I said friendly fire. So somebody backed off. Um, but the best one was who will suck less in this series? I mean, at the risk of being a homer, I kind of think the Cubs, but not because I think the Cubs are that much better than the White Sox. They just have more to play for at this moment in time. I think that it seems clear to everybody that the White Sox are sellers and that they're going to sell in 10 days and and the Cubs actually have this hint of maybe we won't. Um, now, the White Sox would love to spoil that party. So I, the thing about, I, I, and I, I talked about this on Cup of Cubby Blue with Danny Rocket, my co-host there, uh, about a week and a half ago when we were talking about this, you know, you look at these games, you're like, oh, you have games against the last place Cardinals, you have games against the White Sox, like this is, this is easy. It's not. Those are rivalry games. Uh, those are games that dudes show up for in ways that they wouldn't for like a Minnesota Twins game or like a Pittsburgh Pirates game. And so I don't want to I don't want to pretend that the Cubs have some sort of advantage here from a we have we're having a better season type of thing, but they have something to lose. So whether it'll be interesting to see if the White Sox show up to like take away what the Cubs have to lose <laughs> Or if the Cubs show up to, like, fight for what they have to lose. Because <laughs> it seems like the White Sox are a foregone conclusion. Yeah, and it's it's fun. They ha they do this weird thing where against, like, really good teams, they outperform and actually, you know, score runs. And then when you're playing a team like the A's, they nearly, nearly, nearly avoid getting swept by that team. So it's it's interesting. Totally. I appreciate that we have a co-host here who is barking in the background. It's great stuff. She won't stop. She, again, I left her for a week and now this is her payback is barking for <laughs> this entire show, apparently. No, it's outstanding. It's great. <laughs> but on that note, we will take a very quick break to pay some bills. This dog is biting my toe. Okay. <laughs> so <clears throat> welcome back. I'm Crystal O'Keefe. Again, I've got Sarah Sanchez on to talk about this series. So I looked at your matchups. Thankfully, the White Sox actually had matchups to post. I was getting a little worried. But we have Kyle Hendricks facing Michael Kopech, Marcus Stroman against Lance Lynn. I know Kopech has struggled quite a bit lately, but Lance Lynn 
seems to be on the up and up doing, you know, the absolute best performance he can maybe in hopes that he will get traded to like a contender for a change. Um, but he did have a really bad start. Now I did see Hendricks pretty recently during his rehab stint. Um, I actually got to go see Kyle Hendricks and Vince Velasquez in minor league Indianapolis. <laughs> that was just a highlight. So, but what can you tell me about what these two are doing right now? I mean, Kyle Hendricks looks like old Kyle Hendricks. And by that, I mean, Kyle, we we spell it with a C when he's this dude. Uh, he has a 3.38 ERA, a FIP of 4.21. He's overperforming his FIP considerably because he has a great defense behind him. He doesn't strike out many guys. He's only got a 16 0.1% K rate, and but he doesn't walk anybody either. He's only walking 3.8% of the batters that he faces. And he kind of looks like that dude. He just kind of, the changeup looks like a wiffle ball. He's not getting a ton of swings and misses on it, but he's getting a lot of weak contact on anything that he throws in the zone. And most of that weak contact is being gobbled up by Dansby Swanson or Nico Horner. And, and whenever Kyle Hendricks can do that, he is that guy. And so the only exception, uh, I think it was against the, mm, it was not the Yankees. It was somebody else. Uh, the Red Sox. Against the Red Sox, Kyle Hendricks, uh, the Red Sox kind of teed off against him and hit four home runs in that game. And as far as I can tell, the only thing that was different that day was that it was a lot more humid and a lot hotter. And so those are balls that are probably long flyouts on a regular day, but because Kyle Hendricks happened to be throwing on like, oh my God, it's summer Wrigley day, like those balls went out to the bleachers and he got kind of demolished by the Red Sox. Prior to that, I think his ERA was in the two. So it's one of those situations where it's like, if the weather is reasonable and Kyle Hendricks is doing Kyle Hendricks things, you would expect him to have an ERA under three and you would expect him to be super efficient. Uh, and if the White Sox can get some home runs off of him, then he's going to struggle because you can't defend against home runs. Yeah, that's that's exactly how Michael Kopech is, actually. He, <laughs> Great. If you start, yeah, if you start hitting kind of early on, that's that first inning is always a really scary one to watch with him because that first inning is usually ultimately the deciding factor of the game. So if he gets razzled, really early he's going to be giving up hits and it's it's going to be very ugly very soon if he can stay cool calm and collected and not you know walk a bunch of people or not give up a ton of hits then i'm not i'm not worried about him but yeah i think that's that's a particularly fun and interesting matchup because they do seem to be very similar and i'm waiting for michael to look like a vintage hendrix because i've been watching him for Forever. He's been around forever. <laughs> He's getting up there in baseball years. So, but then again, Stroman, I know we've talked about how he's, he's great anyway, but what's he been up to? When his sinker is working, Marcus Stroman is really difficult to compete against. Uh, the way he puts it in his post game is the sinker be sinking. And when that happens, it is unbelievable. Like he's just a ground ball machine. He is getting a ground ball rate this season of 57.8%. His K rate is 21.1%. His walk rate is 9.2%. His ERA is 3.09. And that's actually risen a bit in a couple of starts where things have gone off the rails for him. Recently, he has already thrown more than 122 innings. And he has uh, 
I don't know if he's relinquished this yet or not, but he's been tied for the lead in quality starts in Major League Baseball for months. So it's one of those situations where it's like, if Stroh is on and he is dealing, it's going to be a lot of ground ball outs and he's going to look really good. Um, and and Stroman just doesn't care. He's He's got this attitude. I love watching him pitch. It's a ton of fun. I hope that this isn't the last time I see him pitch for the Cubs. Yeah, absolutely. I thought that today as Lucas was doing great. And I'm like, is, is this it? Is this the last time we see him in that uniform? And again, Lance is the same way. If Lance gets into a groove, he's going to be striking out, you know, he very recently hit his, you know, career, tied his career high of 16 strikeouts in a game. The White Sox still lost that game. That's a topic for another day on how they still manage to do that. But again, if he's if he gets going, he's he's lethal and those will be easy outs for him. Um, and with that said, like, how do the Cubs take this series from the White Sox? a good question um they basically need to do what they did against the cardinals they need to like rise above the rivalry stuff and not get like drawn into wilson Contreras antics or like whatever's going on with yes money grandal or like tim anderson or whatever like they need to like not play any of those games and just score runs when they're supposed to so what they did against the cardinals that was really great if you watched uh the cubs and cheer for the cubs uh, in these last few games they just put runs together right like they oh like two guys are on we're gonna get a single two guys are on we're gonna get a double like we're gonna run out the ball when there's an error we're gonna hit a home run when we need to like it was just a very compact and predictable style of baseball it's not particularly exciting like it's it's fun don't get me wrong like I love it when the Cubs score six runs in an inning but it's not the type of six runs that involve like a hobby bomb and a Wilson grand slam or anything like that. It's very kind of like station to station and mundane. And that's what they need to do to win this series against the White Sox. They can't get drawn into rivalry stuff. They can't get worried about bat flips or like, we're going to hit somebody or like anything like that. It has to be just, we're going to walk and then we're going to get a hit. And then that guy's going to be on third. And, you know, one thing that the Cubs have done really well this year that is interesting, and I'm curious to see what will happen with the White Sox. Maybe you could answer this question for me. They have been a team that will steal bases uh, when it seems like the opposition is not going to throw them out or when it seems like a pitcher is a little too slow to the plate. And I think that that has put them in a really good position because it means they can turn a walk into a guy on second super fast. And having a runner on second with no outs versus having a runner on first with no outs is a pretty big deal. Uh, and that allows them to then score on a single as opposed to needing an extra base hit. And so I don't know how well the White Sox have been controlling the running game, but I would look for the Cubs to take advantage if the White Sox look like they're not controlling it. Yeah, they are, honestly, they have not been doing too bad if it comes to something so simple as like stealing a base. However, I know they are the third worst in the American League for leaving runners on base. Um, and I think that's kind of their biggest downfall is just they, they can't do a single thing with risk. Like they struggle so much and they make really dumb mental errors. And sometimes their base running is atrocious. And I would like to slam my laptop down when I see this happen. But I'm like, no, I have to actually stay and watch this game, unfortunately. Um, so I think... They do fine if they actually do have that chance. And I know Jimmy Anderson, despite the 
big slump he's been in can still steal a base. He's still great. And Andrew Benatendi, surprisingly, has been pretty good at stealing. So as long as they can continue stealing bases and not get thrown out or have a dumb running error, then they're good. But that does scare me a lot. <sighs> I, I do um, appreciate what you said about the biggest threat on the Cubs right now. So why don't you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, the biggest threat to the Cubs right now is basically themselves. The Cardinals and Pirates aren't putting pressure on at the moment. I mean, it, both of those teams seem to be having kind of a disastrous season in different ways. The Pirates not being able to pull it together after a hot start. The Cardinals, I don't even know, man. Like, they're in a PR nightmare. And frankly, like, I'll be happy if the Cardinals stay in a PR nightmare forever. This is kind of fun for me to watch as a Cubs fan because the Cardinals have been perfect for the last two decades and watching them not be perfect is pretty fun. But the thing about the Cubs is they are probably the most fundamentally sound team in the NL central. They are the only team with a positive run differential. They've got decent pitching. They've got really good defense. They're not flashy, but they can win games. The Reds don't have starting pitching. And even when they get their guys back off the IL, they're not going to have starting pitching. Don't get me wrong. Christian Encarnacion Strand and like Ellie De La Cruz and Matt McClain, those dudes are fun. They're amazing. Joey Votto rules. And the Reds have to score like seven plus runs a game to win without the pitching. Um, the Brewers are the opposite. They have pitching and they don't have hitting. I, I honestly look at the Brewers and their offense sometimes and I'm like, why are you perennially bad? Why are you perennially like an 88 WRC plus team? That's so weird. I don't get it. Um, and so it kind of feels like the Cubs are better at both of those things than either of those teams, and they should just be able to kind of pull it together. Their biggest threat is themselves. Sometimes they just don't put it together. They'll go three or four games without scoring more than a run or two, and it you can't win games when you only score one run. So we'll see if they can put it together for the trade deadline, and if they can. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Jed Hoyer would add a couple of lefty arms to the bullpen. Uh, maybe make sure Cody Bellinger can stick around. Maybe call up Matt Mervis from AAA because Mervis was kind of doing awesome stuff before he left. And I know the numbers didn't bear that out, but if you look under the hood, he actually looks really good. He's hitting the ball hard. He's hitting barrels. He just kind of got unlucky. Mm -hmm. um, I would much rather see Mervis than Mancini at first base. Right. But Yeah. I forget that Trey is over there these days. <laughs> no offense. Like Trey's great, but he's just, yeah. he's, he's not very good. No, he, I think the only reason we thought he was so good previously was because he was on a team that is typically awful. So he could kind of be that lovable hero. And now he's on a team. Well, I, I feel like now he, he would be the exact same thing in Baltimore because again, he's not been great. And there have been so so, so many wonderful stars that have kind of erupted this year in Baltimore. So good for them. But yeah, I, I do. I forget that he's there all the time. <laughs> yeah. Are the Orioles in first place? I think they are. Yes, they are. They're in Goldbergland. Um, I, I know. Uh, I was actually um, in New York with Celeste, who is in Baltimore now. She's kind of adopted them as her other team. She's still, you know, a sad White Sox fan, but she got the notification on her phone. I think we were out at dinner one night and she was like, oh my gosh, 
the O's are actually in first place. They're like, they're actually a game over now. They've taken over the race. And there was like, I am so happy for you, dear. This is the best news ever. <laughs> I'm going to adopt them too. I do love the Orioles and Rays running that division. Like, let the team, let the small market teams like take over from the big market teams. I'm here for it. All I want is a small market World Series at least like once in the next 10 years. And it could happen this year. This could be the year. Yeah, it could um, be. Who knows? Is Chicago small market? <laughs> We're not. Like Chicago is one of those places. No, this is like a really tough question because Chicago yeah. is one of those places where it's like, no, you're a big market team. And also your biggest contract in history is the Andrew Benintendi contract. And yes. our biggest contract in history is the Jason Hayward contract. And neither of those are big market moves. No, no, those are terrible moves. Like no offense to Jason Hayward. I thought he was so much fun, but woof. Now that I think about it, that's really depressing. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Pay money, Chicago. Pay money, get stars. They are Punch above your way. They are billionaires. They should be doling out more money, but nobody cares, apparently. Drives me nuts. Where are the orcas when we need them in Chicago? Seriously. Oh, well. So it feels like you're... We've talked about your biggest fear, the whole rivalry stuff. And yeah, I do agree. You you do kind of get lost in that quite a bit during this team. And you've got, you know, idiot fans on both sides that are doing stupid stuff in the bleachers. I was going to say over under on a fist fight. Like a fist oh. fight always happens at the Crosstown mm -hmm. Classic. You just want to not be in the section where it happens. Yeah, it's either there's a fight that breaks loose or a beer snake or a fight that breaks loose over said beer snake. So it's just really... You bet, like, what inning it's going to be in at this point. <laughs> I'm going with the sixth. That's good. You have more confidence than I do, because I was going to say, like, the fourth. I think you need that much alcohol first. True. And, you know, we're kind of in this recession. People aren't spending as much. <laughs> Inflation. Inflation yeah. real. <laughs> so maybe, maybe, maybe we can get sixth or seventh. If it's the fourth, I, I will totally owe you a beer. If it's the sixth, you owe me a beer. <laughs> yes, deal. That can that can be arranged. Um, so we can break out of this because it'll it'll be an interesting series. It always is an interesting series. But this is where I like to talk about the rest of baseball that might be more fun than the teams that we love for some reason. So again, this is this is where we go into you know matchups for the world series underdogs bad or pleasant surprises kind of just wherever you whatever your thoughts are going on right now in the season uh the two teams that i love that i am just like following kind of obsessively um i like the marlins and i like the reds and I was actually really cranky. The Marlins swept the Cubs earlier this season in a series of one-run games in Miami. And I was like, what is this? The Marlins are bad. And then like a month later, the Marlins were in second place in the NL East. And I'm just like, I don't know what Kimang is doing. And I don't know how she knows that this would work. But she has like this collection of very good starting pitchers, like 17 second basemen and two guys who hit dingers in Jesus Sanchez and Jorge Soler. And that works somehow. And, and it works despite the fact that, like, Jazz Chisholm Jr. has spent most of the season on the IL. And I'm just like, how does this work? I don't know why this works. But it's working. And you know what? That woman is the first 
woman to ever be the general manager for a team. And what she has done over there is kind of incredible. And I am old enough to remember when dudes were coming into my mentions in the offseason talking about how Kim Ang didn't trade enough pitchers and like that was a terrible offseason for the Marlins and they put themselves behind the eight ball five plus more years. I'm like, they're going to the playoffs. So like bite me. Uh, Kim Ang rules and she's incredible. Here for the Marlins. That's my first one. What about you? We love a successful woman. Um, I Like I said just previously, I'm really all in right now on the Orioles and what they're going to do. But I will agree, the Marlins have been a lot of fun. I'm actually going to see them in September um, when I'm in D.C. for a wedding. So I'm excited to see what they're going to do there. Um, but definitely the Orioles and then the Rangers have been a really fun surprise because I did not predict that last year that they would go on this run, especially with yet another Jacob deGrom injury. Yeah, I totally agree with you on the Rangers. Uh, that's a great call out. And I like what the Rangers did because they went out and spent money. They were like, we're going to spend like half a billion dollars on Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager and Jacob DeGrom. And it's going to work. And one of those dudes is hurt right now, but the other dudes are doing great stuff. And it's totally working out for the Texas Rangers. And that's a great call out. The other team that I would add uh, is doing something a little bit different than what the Marlins or the Rangers or the Orioles are doing. Eh, maybe kind of like what the Orioles are doing. Um, and that is the Cincinnati Reds, who, look, I get that they're a divisional foe of the Cubs and I should probably like hate them or something, but I don't because the only teams that I hate in the division are the Cardinals and then I'm like kind of just, I have like mild disdain for the Brewers. Like I don't hate them the same way I hate the Cardinals, but they like to pretend they're a rival and that makes me think of them as a rival on occasion. Um, the Reds are fun, man. Like they have Matt McClain and they have Ellie De La Cruz. Ellie De La Cruz Stole three bases on two pitches. It was the craziest shit that I've ever seen in my life. I don't actually know if I can say that on this podcast. So I apologize if I just made you bleep something, but it was incredible and it was amazing. And I want to see more of it. I, the, the man hits 116 mile per hour bombs and he throws the ball like 99 miles an hour and it's crazy and cool. And I don't know. They've got Joey Votto out there like flipping his cap backwards and talking about being one of the kids these days with a fresca at his hotel room. And I'm just like, I like this Reds team. Like if the if it can't be the Cubs, let it be the Reds. And yeah. I will become the world's greatest Joey Votto, Votto, Ellie De La Cruz stand in history. No, yeah, I agree. The Reds are a blast. I have been obsessed watching Ellie. He's just, he's, he's so much fun. It, it doesn't matter. And I liked Hunter Green. I know he's dealt with, you know, some setbacks this season, but I've, I've really enjoyed watching him. And then Joey Votto, obviously. It's just the icing on the cake. <laughs> we have a co-host for this show, and and whoever counts the dog barks and comes back at me and Crystal with the number of times our our feline friend or feline not feline canine friend our canine. and came in on this episode. Well, uh, we'll owe you something. I don't know what a yeah. beer or something. <laughs> she's, very, she's very vocal about the Reds today. Um, I'm vocal about the Reds too. They are. They're a blast. And, you know, I've loved Joey Votto since he's been there. And I feel like he's one of those players that, you know, I think you and I are very similar in age that we kind of have watched for about half our life at this point. You know, it was first it was Buster Posey. Now it's kind of this Joey Votto thing. And it's it's to the point where when he does retire, because I, I know it's got to be coming up at some point it's going to be crushing to see 
And like Miguel Cabrera is another great example. Albert Pujols, as as awful as he has been, especially to the Cubs. <laughs> I wrote, uh, so when Albert Pujols was DFA'd from the Angels, I wrote a piece, it's actually one of my favorite things I've ever written. And it says, it's called something like, um, Albert Pujols was the greatest Cardinal or the greatest Cubs killer of our lifetime or something like that. Like, I, I don't remember the exact title, but you can't be a Cubs fan who watched what Albert Pujols did against the Cubs over like a, a period of 15 years and not appreciate it. And I, he, he actually, it was actually before he got re-signed by the Cardinals. And I was just, I was literally just looking at the numbers and just like the man had a WRC plus of something like 170 against the team over 15 years and like basically a full season. It's, it's insane. That's not a thing that should happen. Um, and I like, you know, moderated it off of all of the other Cubs killers during that time. And I think the only person who had done more damage was Matt Holiday or something like that. But it was like Matt Holiday had substantially fewer plate appearances and Albert Pujols had like a full season. So it was just like you couldn't even count it. I love players like that. Yeah, I love Joey Votto. I love that when I go to Joey Votto's Instagram page, it <laughs> says future school school best driver. Because Joey Votto wants to drive a school bus and he doesn't care that he's the first baseman for the Reds. I want that so much for him. I feel like Prince Fielder was another one, especially for the Cubs, because I've seen a lot of games where Prince Fielder just was a menace to oh, yeah. the city of Chicago because he would do the same with the White Sox. Like he was just a killer. Okay, so I'm going to go off the script for one second, but it sort of seems like this is a good time to do it. Who is your favorite Cub of all time? I have a favorite White Sox. Who's your favorite Cub? My favorite will always, always, always be Ryan Sandberg. Always. Oh, okay. Always. He's my guy. I, even, I have his jersey. I will not even be ashamed of him. I have a, a, have a Sandberg jersey. Nice. I, I'm a Jim Tomei girl, and I loved everything Jim Tomei ever did, uh, whether it was with the Guardians or whether it was with the White Sox or whoever it was with. I was just like, that dude rules. And I... Can't not cheer for him. So his wife follows me on Twitter. No way. <laughs> That's amazing. She It's like his wife and then Tyler and uh, his brother, Tyler McGill, the McGill children. Oh, yeah. Their mom follows me on Twitter. And I'm like, hey, girls, if you ever want to come on the show. I have some Nick Castellanos family members following me on Twitter. <laughs> That's a good one, too. And I have a couple of former Cubs players who follow me on Twitter, but I'll let them I'll let them remain anonymous today. Oh, I have I have one active White Sox player that does follow me on Twitter. I don't think I have active players. I have some formers though. That's uh, the crowning achievement of my life. I, I wrote a piece about Fergie Jenkins statue going up uh, in Gallagher Way. And about a week after I wrote that piece, he shared it and followed me on Twitter. And I was like, that is a Hall of Fame Cubs pitcher who follows me on Twitter. And I, I'm just going to drop the mic now. And if my Twitter account goes away forever, it's fine. <laughs> No, that's a big win. And I don't think your Twitter account would ever go away. He's like one of the sweetest people I think that exist in this world. So that's pretty, that's pretty impressive. The Fergie is unbelievable. And I'm just going to challenge anyone who's listening to this show. Go look up the number of complete games that man threw. Mm -hmm. And it will blow your mind. He has more complete games than most pitchers have wins. It's unbelievable. And the reason that he says he did that is because his mom told him that you have to finish everything you start. And he was just like, well, I'm not coming out of this game. He took that personally when she said that. Literally. I take that when I'm watching a bad show on Netflix. I'm like, no, I have to finish 
this completely. I have to get through the bad episodes. I'm not about to go pitch complete games. But yeah, <laughs> he's, he's great. I mean, a lot of the older, the older Cubs that I did watch growing up, because again, when I was younger, we only had Cubs games to watch where I was at. So, and most of my family watched them and liked them. So I'm kind of the odd man out in my entire family who who actually watches the White Sox. I mean, we've got a pretty diverse group in my family, but a majority of them are Cubs fans. Like it's in my baby book about how I watch games with my Aunt Jill and how I can do the seventh inning stretch. And I'm like a year and a half old. But I again I, I grew up on a ton of those games. I grew up really close to her when she lived in Chicago too. So I was going to a lot of both games, like both teams. But she was also the one that kind of said, if a Chicago team is doing good, we, you know, put aside our differences and we root for them. So like in 2005, she was happy that the White Sox won. So in 2016 for her, I was like, okay, awesome. You're, you know, you guys finally did it. So she kind of taught me that, you know, we cheer for our own, even if it's, not where our loyalties stand. I love that. And I actually, so I grew up in Utah. Most of my family is Yankees fans. I mm. just watched the Cubs all the time on WGN. And one of the things I noticed when I moved out here, I moved out here in 2014, in September of 2014. Um, yeah, there's a rivalry. Like, and the Crosstown Classic is intense and, you know, don't trash talk White Sox fans if you're a Cubs fan and vice versa. Like, I, you're just running the risk of starting a fight and it's not worth it. And at the same time, I will never forget that the White Sox had a huge billboard in both 2015 and 2016 for the Chicago Cubs wishing them luck yeah. in the NLCS. And like, that was cool. And I hope that the Cubs do something similar when it's the White Sox turn. And honestly, like I have been talking about this on other podcasts, on both my fantasy baseball podcast and on the Cubs podcast. I would be heartbroken if I was where White Sox fans were, are right now. Like, yeah. I truly feel like your window was wasted on this, like, Reinsdorf, Tony La Russa boondoggle. And I find that abhorrent. Like, I love Eloy Jimenez. I went yeah. to Eloy Jimenez bobblehead day. Like, I was <laughs> I was furious that the Cubs traded him for Jose Quintana. No offense to Jose Quintana. Like, it worked no. out okay. But, like, also, like, Eloy is great. I love Luis Robert. I love watching White Sox teams win when they're good. And I think that one of these days we are going to get a Crosstown World Series and it's going to be incredible. And we're just going to show every other urban area what it looks like when Chicago does this because we're going to do it real. Yeah, that's been I always kind of look at the Yankees and Mets because, you know, the Mets, they, they can be really disappointing. But those are two teams that like everybody knows. Everybody knows the New York teams and everybody thinks they're going to make it every single year. But the Chicago teams, you're like, oh, OK, like ESPN brushes the White Sox off as if like they're not actually even a team. So it would that would be a blast and they would have to actually say nice things about the city of Chicago for a change. Which Can you imagine what Chicago would be like? I I think I was nine or ten years old when the Oakland A's and the San Francisco Giants played against each other. And that series got overshadowed by an earthquake and like, it shouldn't have been, but like, you know, you had the New York Yankees, New York Mets series in like the nineties. I want to say maybe the late eighties. I don't remember like ish. Around <laughs> there. Remember. Yeah. I can't remember the year. I remember it being around the same time. And I just, I, 
Cubs and White Sox fans deserve this. We deserve a crosstown series. So I don't think it's probably going to happen in the next five years, maybe not in the next 10 years, but at some point in our lives, I hope it happens. <laughs> and I'll have you on Cup of Cup Blue to talk about it. Yes, it'll happen once Reinsdorf, you know, leaves this earth. Maybe the Ricketts either die off or sell. We'll, we'll have to, that'll be to be determined on what's going to have to happen <laughs> to get us there. But once those things do fall into place, it could happen. One of these days. We'll see. But yeah, that that would be a blast. Like that's what I that's what I do love about these, you know, classics because it does kind of bring the city together. And most more often than not, fans are both civil. They were uh, they're respectful. I mean, it's again, the Cubs and Brewers or the Cubs and Cardinals have a way more like bitter rivalry. I know especially with the Brewers and the whole Wrigley North and then the Brewers like saying, no, we're not going to sell tickets to the city of Chicago. If you've got like a Chicago area code, you're not getting tickets. So I know those are, you know, clearly a lot more bitter and a little bit more meaningful seeing as, you know, how you have to share that division with them. But that's what I love about, you know, this series is you just, you have a ton of people just really passionate about Chicago and about baseball and they're in one big room and just you know playful taunting back and forth because that's that's the way it should be I mean the fights are funny but playful taunting <laughs> and just enjoying baseball and the city you love is I think what really sells it I mean the fights are funny as long as you can avoid them which yeah. I've been able to do thus far at all of the Crosstown Classic games <laughs> that I've got to <laughs> Crystal I'm curious I have a question for you um yeah. What is your favorite thing about Cubs games? Like a game at Wrigley Field, what's your favorite thing? Um, I mean, I will say as much as I kind of will trash talk it because I'm just, that's who I am. It is so historic and fun. Um, and like I went to the ring ceremony after they won the series that year. I was freezing, but I went there because I was happy that it was happening. You know, it had been forever. And that was such a fun experience because I just it was so like you could just tell it was just so emotional in there because these fans had been waiting you know their entire life probably you know I don't care about like 10 and under group but you know the people my age and up had been waiting for so long for it to happen and it was just such a like fun powerful experience of all these people that are just like bonded over this this one team and that's what I will give Cubs fans like they are so tolerant of this team, bad or good. You know, they, they got the nickname Lovable Losers for the longest time because they could be so bad, but you are still going to have fans just piling into Wrigley at 1 o'clock on a Thursday and just not caring because, you know, you guys just love your team so much. So that commitment alone is what I kind of do love about Wrigley. Also, you guys throw the best Chris Kendall Mart ever. <laughs> that is the one we go to every single year. Um, we took the we took the kids just this past Christmas, and we went into like the Gallagher Way experience, where you do get to go out on the field, and there are all these like fun games and rides, and you know little chalets you can rent, and it was just like this really fun experience. We'd never went into that part before. Um, so you guys do the best one. It's always fun there, but you know, you guys do it right. And the, the new remodel has been really nice. 
I appreciate that. Uh, let me share a couple of things I love about White Sox games yeah. and Sox Park, which I refuse to call Guaranteed Rate Stadium. Exactly. Like, no, we're not doing that. Like, keep calling it the cell. That was a great name. Yeah. Anything else? Just don't call it. Don't call it Guaranteed Rate. Um, I love the food at Guaranteed Rate, and I love the tailgating atmosphere before the games. It's something that Wrigley doesn't do very well, which is funny because, like, the whole neighborhood is like a pub crawl. But, like, yeah. you don't get that same sort of, like, I'm just going to bring a cooler and some beer and we're going to hang out here and just, like, party until we go in. And I love the tailgating atmosphere on the South Side. I always get to South Side games early and I bring like a tall boy with me so that I can hang out and just kind of like meander around the parking lot and do the thing. But I, I also really appreciate that there's better food on the South side of Chicago. Like it's just true. There's tamales mm -hmm. in the ballpark. There's a lotes in the ballpark. I can get salt for my beer. There's like a whole, like, <laughs> like there's a whole area where I can get limes for my beer and they don't even ask. They're just like, Oh yeah, you want a lime with that? And I'm like, I do, I do. And I love you for it. Um, <laughs> I feel like Wrigley kind of sits on its laurels a little bit. And they're like, ah, nobody cares if we have anything other than Goose Island yeah. and Old Style and Bud Light. And I get it. You have a historic ballpark, so you don't need to go out and, like, find the craft beer. And also, when I go to White Sox games, there's a craft beer cave yes. that I can go get, like, any beer from the city yes. of Chicago, which is a great beer city. Like and I can get whatever beers. I want. Yeah. Like 200 beers at all times down there. It's wild. It's amazing. So I think that there's good things on both sides of town. There are definitely. And the I mean the bars are fun on the north side too. I I'm down there a lot for the metro anyway, because I, you know, am a big, you know, punk girly, go to a lot of shows. So the whole atmosphere around there is really neat. And it's the bars are just a little bit better over there. But yeah, they both have really special qualities that kind of make them their own. I know if anybody will come up and say, hey, what is there to do in Chicago? What do you recommend? Like, I'm still going to recommend a Cubs game if you have not been to a Cubs game because of how historic that whole stadium is. You know, it's it's still worthwhile to do. And again, everyone knows the Cubs. I've joked about this very recently on the Mets episode where you're always going to see somebody in a Cubs jersey no matter what stadium you're at. The Cubs are not playing and you're in Pittsburgh and you're going to see someone with like a random Javi Baez jersey. Just out of like, I'm like, hey, one, he's not on the Cubs. Two, this is a Pirates-Reds game. What are you doing? <laughs> but you're going to see somebody in the Cubs jersey because everybody knows them. And that's Again, that's where everyone from out of town is going to go. He's still on. He's still on my wall. Him and Wilson Contreras forever. I'll never forgive Jed Hoyer for that. No, I, this is just Chicago being better than the rest. Like I don't get the feeling that there's that type of acknowledgement and love between Yankees and Mets fans. And yeah. I just, I just think that's because we we get it. Yeah, I was actually at Wilson's very first game when he got the call up and hit his very first home run. It was on my birthday <laughs> because they were playing the Pirates and I had to go see Andrew McCutcheon because. <sighs> Obvi. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was there. His very first at bat hit that home run. And I actually, I still have the, my husband um, found the trading card for me um, that kind nice. of had his first home run. And he was like, you know, you should have it. It's your birthday after all. So I, I do have that in my collection, but 
Well, onto the person who tries to challenge Wilson with a fastball, like first pitch fastball. Wilson Contreras <laughs> is going to murder that. So, yeah, I don't remember who was pitching that game for the Pirates. I just remember it happening and I was like, oh my gosh. And then I feel like that same game, it was like a back to back Rizzo Bryant home run. It was a pretty wild game. Maybe. I just know that Wilson hit his first pitch in Major League Baseball to dead center. Mm-hmm. And then he had his first pitch in the all-star game to like center left. And it was like, I'm just like, that dude is sitting fastball on that first pitch. And if you give him a chance to murder a fastball, he is, he's going to do it. <laughs> he will. That's fun. All right. Well, in, I mean, if you have any other things, obviously, because like I said, we're going to cross post this. So if you have anything else, here's your chance. No, uh, you can find me at at BCB underscore Sarah, no H on the Sarah. You can find our Cubs podcast at at Cup of Cubby Blue. We are the Bleacher Bunch Network on Fans First Sports Network, you know, the island of misfit toys that uh, (laughs) (laughs) Fans First Sports Network has rescued from the SB Nation clutches. And yeah, if you like Cubs stuff, check us out. We're here series by series doing all the things uh, that you want to know. For the Cubs, but it's always good doing a White Sox crossover episode, and I hope it's a great series. Like regardless yeah. of anything, I hope all of us feel great at the end of it. Hey, Moncada might be back, so we'll see. Although they said, "Oh, if he's back, we'll put Jake Berger at second. So this could be disastrous. We will <laughs> find out very soon. <laughs> this is like when the Cubs are like Nick Madrigal can play third. I'm like, I don't think you understand what Nick Madrigal does. And and to Nick Madrigal's credit, he has not made a bunch of errors at third base, but he does like need a five step running start to throw the ball across the diamond. And to the point where I think it was Davey Andrews from Fangraphs wrote me at one point. He's like, does Nick always get a running? I was like, yes, yes, he always does. That's what that's the only reason Nick Madrigal can play third. And if you ask Cubs Twitter, they'll be like, oh, they're showcasing him. I'm like, showcasing him for what? A guy who is not a third baseman? Like, I don't understand what this is. <laughs> he is four inches taller than I am. I had to look up his exact height. Yeah. Um, well, Sarah, best of luck. Thank you so much for coming on to do this. This one has been really fun. So hopefully we can we can gain a lot of traction for both sites on this because this is always a fun series. Even if you want to come into the comments and like talk shit, it's, it's still going to be a very fun series. So. Oh yeah. We can both talk shit with the best of them. Exactly. I do it all the time. It's like my, it's like my whole Twitter brand. (laughs) Yes, exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much. It was lovely doing this with you and best of luck. (laughs) 